Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and thanks for having me. Today's topic, Chasing Amy, the third film in Kevin Smith's View Ask Uverse series. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Now, this is a film we have talked about doing for quite a while now, ever since we reviewed Mallrats. And it just so happens the timing is perfect because this year is the 25th anniversary. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And this has been on the back burner of our viewing slate and re- or reviewing slate, as it were, for quite some time. And last time we made mention of that graphic novel, Chasing Dogma, which takes place between the events of this film and Dogma. So although right. Dogma isn't strictly comic book related, oh no, 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 it is. There's a comic about the journey to that film. Maybe yeah. we can review that at some point. That'd be good. Um, what you're referring to is the, the four-issue miniseries, which, is, which serves as the link between the films that connects up the events of um, Morath's and Dogma, but also Chasing Amy and Dogma. This film was originally inspired by a brief scene in an earlier film by a friend of Smith's. In Genevieve Turner's Go Fish, one of the lesbian characters imagines her friends passing judgment on her for selling out by sleeping with a man. Smith Mm. was dating Adams at the time. He was writing the script, which was also partly inspired by her. The film received mostly positive reviews praising the humour, performances in Kevin Smith's direction. The film won two awards at the 1998 Independent Spirit Awards for Best Screenplay for Smith and Best Supporting Actor for Jason Lee. Characters from the film would go on to appear in later Askewverse films, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back and Jane Silent Bob Reboot, which was a direct spin-off with Affleck, Lee and Adams reprising their roles from Chasing Amy, which did make me think, as I was watching this, I think next I'll have to go back and watch Reboot again, just to get that Chasing Amy scene, because that is one of my favourite parts of that movie. It is brilliant. It is good. I noticed, though, that in the reboot, uh, Banky Edwards, Jason Lee's character from Chasing Amy, is, is not in the film whatsoever. He does appear briefly in Strike Back uh, toward the end, in that big climactic battle scene with Cockknocker, best villain name ever. <laughs> but he doesn't appear in um, the reboot, although he does as Brody, but not Banky. Ah, good point. I'm getting my wires crossed. I've got to say, though, in my defence, even though I've seen them all, I'm a fan of them all, it yeah. is difficult at times to remember what happens where and who appears where, who they're playing in each film. Yeah, don't forget it's a shared universe too. Um, I lent you, I think I lent you a Kevin Smith uh, related magazine once that basically explains the relationships between all the characters. And some of them are cousins with each other. I think Banky and Brody are actually cousins. It's all connected. Way yeah, before the MCU, yeah. we had the View Askewverse. Yes, exactly. So you're right. Um, in Jane Silent Bob Reboot, it is Alyssa and Holden who are back together. And their yeah. daughter, Amy, which was a nice touch. But she, they had a, like, Alyssa is with someone else, isn't she? And they had a, 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 they used Holden to have a daughter. Yes, that's right. 
But anyway, that happens after this movie. This is the movie. Yeah. I feel like we've come ahead of ourselves. Get ahead of ourselves. We've confused me, potentially listeners already. And we've only just just started. It is all connected. I'm glad you mentioned Joey Lauren Adams dating Smith in real life during the filming of this movie because that's a major talking point and it's, it has a huge influence on the tone of the film so let's talk budget then i think this is potentially the smallest budget of anything we've reviewed on this podcast mm. it sounds like comics i'm pretty sure it is at a budget of two hundred and fifty thousand. originally they did have all the studio were offering more but they wanted more bankable names. Yeah. But it was Smith that was pushing for the cast. And he Mm. said, if we take less money, can I keep the cast that I want to use? And obviously everybody agreed. And then at the box office, it went on to make 12 million. Isn't it amazing that um, a massive studio at the time, like Miramax, were offering to finance this, essentially what is an indie, indie flick or an indie film from Smith? on such a modest budget too. Well, that a film of that nature could be made by a major studio like Miramax. Well, it's like when he was making more rats for Universal and mm. they were offering more money than he was asking for because he was thinking, well, I just made Clerks for way less. I don't need all that money. And they're like, no, no, no. If you're making a move for Universal, you need to spend some money. You can't do it as cheaply as what you've done before. It was a good caveat from Smith to say, look, we'll take less money, but I want to keep my cast. And the studio acquiesced because they were like, sweet, okay, we don't have to spend as much money. No worries, keep your cast, that's fine. Honestly, there's so many reasons why I'm a fan of Smith, and that's just one example. Like him just being loyal to his friends, the cast, the script, all of it. And it, it obviously, you know, it did work out for the best. Yeah, and it's interesting to book to bookend this or or to, to kind of note that both Smith, Affleck and Smith had a falling out um, much later in their careers. And they were able to uh, bury the hatchet on that falling out and, re- and repair or mend their friendship, which is what led to Affleck's little cameo or reprisal as Holden in the reboot, James Holden Bob reboot. So I'm thinking that must have happened between Clerks 2 and Reboot, that the falling yep. out happened. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's so good that the friends again, they're back together. And it just, it, it just felt right seeing Ben Affleck in Reboot. Yeah, absolutely. And it was such a, um, uh, what would you call it, uh, a, a catharsis or a closure, if you will, to many fans who had wondered what had happened to Holden McNeil. Yeah, and really again, not, it's yeah. one of the, the best parts of that movie by far. Mm. So we've said, Smith, we're all familiar. It came to prominence with the low-budget comedy buddy film Clerks in 94, which he wrote, directed, co-produced, acted. I mean, that's essentially what he does. Like, he does everything. (laughs) He does a bit of everything. I think the only thing he doesn't do is anything to do with the score. He he stays away from the music, but everything else, it seems to be across. I mean, this is a romantic comedy drama which yeah. you, even though you know you had romance you know being a part of more of that it didn't feel like a romantic comedy whereas this movie does it hits a lot harder it's mm. got grit to it i mean the emotion and some of the oh, line yeah. deliveries is like it, it's just amazing by 
Joey Lauren Adams, like the scene in the rain. Oh, there's there's so much. But as well as all of that. You hit the nail on the head. It's one of the most gut-wrenchingly emotional movies Smith's ever made. And I think as I've aged, I've fallen in love with the movie even harder just because of how emotional it is. And as an adult, you're able to read that that subtle kind of kind of emotional subtext a lot more. I mean, as a teenager, what drew me to the movie was all the comic book references and that it was basically about the comic book biz. You had two oh, best yeah. friends who were you had two best friends who were a penciler and an inker, respectively. And I loved that there was a director out there making a movie about the comic book biz and peeling back the curtain and showing you a bit more about the inner workings of, of indie comics and indie comics publishing. Oh, me uh, too. Me the, too. I saw all the dick and fart jokes, you know, all the stuff, <laughs> Smith, all the stuff Smith's known for. And even Holden's, uh, Affleck's character Holden says that dick and fart jokes are his bread and butter, you know? And he, and he lays out the demographic of people who he's, his um who his books are trying to reach when he's when he's initially talking to Lauren Adams's character Alyssa in the pub at the start. Um, but then beyond that, as as I've aged, I've started to see so many more complex layers and subtleties to this movie that just really hit home. And you see how emotionally gut wrenching it is, and how you can clearly see how Alyssa's character, all her kind of um, sexual experiences that she had as a younger woman, she's trying to put that behind her. She's trying to put that and keep that, you know, to move on from that. And Affleck is trying to, his character, Holden, is really trying to please her or to win her over. And, and, and he feels intimidated by her past. And that's why he's trying to really um, reconcile that with himself and trying to get her to relive those times, so to speak. And she's clearly, you know, moved on from it. So it's a very powerful emotional kind of uh, conundrum. I agree with everything you just said. What I was about to say before you went into all of that is that, yes, it is like, you know, the grit, the emotion, everything, but you're still getting all the comic book elements that you, you've come to expect from Kevin Smith, whether it's yeah. talking about the Death starving clerks, talking about, you know, superheroes having sex in more that. And yeah, yeah. Still, it's still present here. I mean, I love the attention to detail as well. Kevin mm. Smith... He wrote the three issues of the Blunt Man and Chronic comic book that Holden and Banky produced in the film. And mm. if you read those issues, you open it up and it is credited as written by Banky Edwards and Holden McNeil, pencils by yeah. Holden McNeil, inks by Banky mm. Edwards, not Kevin Smith. So I love no. that little bit of detail. Like he's like, hey, you can watch the movie, that comic they made in the movie, you can go out and buy it. And it's credited as the characters, which I thought was excellent. Here's one for you. Do you know who provided the artwork? I do. Mike Allred. And he's actually yes. in the opening of the movie doing a signing, which I thought yep. was pretty cool. Yep. The one thing that escapes me to this day is, is that apparently and reportedly, Joe Casada, uh, former Marvel Comics editor-in-chief, can be seen in, in the opening of the movie at that little Comic-Con as well. And I can't find him anywhere. I've been looking to this, to this day. I cannot see... Joe Casada anywhere. I'm looking and looking. I can't find him. I read that also. As you know, I watched this movie as recent as a couple of hours ago. I still yep. haven't seen him. <laughs> I still <laughs> haven't seen him. Isn't it ridiculous? I mean, maybe a Google image search that will help us out. I mean, he clearly looks different to what we're looking for. Yeah. Because how do we how do we keep missing him? In the opening, though, you mentioned with the Mike Allred art. Yeah. You also see a a wizard cover. To this yes. day, I miss right. Wizard Magazine. Oh, dude, me too, me too. 
It touches a raw nerve right there because I had quite a few Wizard magazines and I'm kicking oh, myself for throwing I had them out. so many. I was devastated when that stopped. I've still got the last couple of issues. I've held on to them. I think Green Lantern artwork is on the final issue. I'm Man, pretty we sure. We have to catch up in, in person and you have to show me these Wizard mags because I, I really, really want to reminisce. I miss them. Oh, I love Wizard Magazine. Always hard. I mean, remember, they used to have like a wish list. And before the yes. first X-Men movie, people were always fan casting Patrick Stewart yes. and Xavier. But each and the- issue, it was like, okay, if they're going to make this movie now, this is who we would cast. And oh, yeah, so many things I like about Wizard Magazine, but I always enjoyed those sections. We get to see a cover of Wizard Magazine in this opening, and it shows Chronic breaking through glass in a recreation of That's Detective right. Comics issue That's 38, right. which was where the character Robin was introduced. So I love yep. all these little nods. Little nods and winks. Another thing, speaking of nods and winks in the, in the opening credits, you may or may not have seen it. Um, you probably would have. Um, they have a, a brief shot of Comic Shop News. Do you remember that? I do. Comic Shop, comic shop News was like a, a, a fold-out newspaper-style a publication that was very much similar to Wizard in terms of how um, it, it was comics journalism, basically. Yeah, but it um, was like just a handful of pages. And it used to yeah. get released weekly. So comic shops, it would get put in with the shipment of new books. And I remember it's gone now. We both used yeah. to go to Comic Zone here in oh, Perth, in Western Australia. And yep. yeah, each time I'd go in there and get my books, I'd grab a handful of the latest um, yep. prints of Comic Shop, News, Comic Shop sure. News. and Shout out to Comic Zone and shout out to Jay, uh, our mutual friend who used to work there. To be fair to Jay, people listening will also be familiar with Jay as he's my regular co-host on Sounds Like Comics. But yeah, Jay yes. did used to work That's why I at Comic it. Zone. That's why I said it. And also Michael and Owen. And all, all those guys. guys. All those yeah. guys. Shout out to them all. Really miss those days. Let's talk Ben Affleck. He's come up yeah. on the podcast before, not just for more of that. We've reviewed Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And for that film, Stu, we've reviewed the movies he's appeared in as Batman. Yeah, the elephant in the room. Yes, but this is not Affleck playing a superhero. He's Holden McNeil. And I've got to say, it's always bugged me in the movie, he's got a moustache and goatee, start to finish. Yep. Even at the yep. end, when he, he jumps forward. Yeah. But the marketing, including DVD, VHS, Blu-ray, is clean-shaven. Yeah. Yeah, you were telling me that the other day, and I, and I was like, you know what? Holy crap, you're right. That's so true. I mean, it was around the time that he had made... Oh, in fact, no... His appearance is similar to how he looks in Jiggly, that movie with mm. Jennifer Lopez he did in 2003. is very yeah. similar. So I'm, it must have been shooting something else around about the time. I'm not sure if it was Phantoms, which was also uh, Miramax, but they clearly... Yeah, Affleck was the Phantoms, yo. <laughs> yeah, but it's clearly Affleck. Just, in yeah. fact, it might even be Affleck and not a character. And they've just put yeah. him with the characters on the artwork for the movie. Honestly, it's, it's bugged it's me funny. more than it should. <laughs> and it's ironic that every time he's reprised the role of Holden McNeil since, he's clean shaven uh, or has just light stubble. He got rid of his goatee. Ah, right. Okay, so in Reboot, he's clean shaven or he's got stubble. Yep. And then, yeah. 
So it's it's kind of funny how I can. I need. Mm, I need to do a rewatch. But I mean, this yeah. is this is good Affleck. I like. I mean, I still like Affleck yeah. now. Don't get me wrong, but I like Affleck in this era, and yeah. we're getting a a good performance from him there here. Was, there was such a, an intensity to his acting um, then, and you can see why Smith cast him. Not just because they were probably pals, buddies, but because he's got some serious acting chops. And his character is just saying and doing the wrong thing, and you can see. <laughs> You know, coming a mile off, he's about to say something stupid, do something stupid, yeah. and, and he's right, a, on the wall. Yeah, he's a very flawed character. You know, the mm-hmm. the handling and the writing of these characters, Smith has come out in recent years and said, looking back on it, some of it is quite problematic. But for a film that mm-hmm. came out in '97, you know, it still think- holds together well, and and it's that thing yeah. where is, you know, if a character is doing or saying something that is not perceived as the audience to be the right thing to do. It's mm. not the director. It's not the writer. It's the character in the film. So I can still That's go true. with, you know, what's happening in the film. Well, I mean, they say that every, every creator, whether you're an artist or a writer, or particularly writers, uh, if, you're, if you're writing, sometimes um, one of the characters that you create will be your voice, like the voice of the writer. And I feel that Holden McNeil is basically Smith's voice in that film. He is the vehicle for what Smith's trying to say and the commentary he's trying to make. And I think he's probably, I don't know if he's pulling from personal experience um, or, or if the movie's somewhat autobiographical or semi-autobiographical, but it seems to me that Holden McNeil seems to be the mouthpiece for sort of Smith's kind of take on the intricacies of, of those sorts of relationships. I've got to say, Joey Lauren Adams is Alyssa Jones. Yeah. She- doesn't seem to change whether it's seeing mm. her now seeing her mm. in this movie watching her in what was the other one she did is she she's in big daddy isn't she with adam sandler yes that's right she's got a very unique voice very distinct voice which yeah she does yeah yeah and mm. i yeah and, and again that bit in in the rain especially when she lets out that cry of emotion yeah it's very unique mm. to her yeah she's got a very distinctive voice her and jennifer tilly they've got that yep. you know distinct way of talking. So. Even even the scene in the hockey arena where, where um you know Holden confronts her about her past in a hockey arena and try and tries to, to draw out that confession from her. Yeah. And then they have that big, huge row, that big fight in the car park that ensues afterwards. She really is just going to town emotionally on him in that scene. And it's such a, a harrowing scene to watch. Yeah, I'd say a lot of the, the big performances that we get from her in this movie just sound so raw. It, so- mm. it sounds like, it, you know, everything she's feeling is coming from deep within her. And, yeah, I mean, yes. she, I mean, I've yeah. got to be honest, like, she is the standout oh, of this yeah. movie, like, by far. She's, yeah, she, she's phenomenal in this. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, another a really sweet moment she has is the scene in the, in the nightclub where she gets called up on stage to sing an umba. She's very shy about it, but, but um, after some some kind of prodding from Holden, uh, she gets up there and she sings. She belts out the song, but she does a great job of singing that. I don't know if they if they rehearsed that in, or if it was done in one take or whether that was a real song or whether she just did that for the for the movie. But well, man, I like can that. I can tell you, it is an original song that she wrote and performs in the film. Wow. Originally, it was a country song, but Smith requested that they pump it up a bit just you know make it sound poppier i guess but that's her essentially a cover to cover of an existing song well she wrote it 
Oh, okay, right. There yeah. You go. So again, it's it's a song that she wrote. She wrote and performed it in the film, and originally it had a country sound, but then they yeah. changed it up. But yeah, no, that's Got it. Got it. that's her. Because I love it. I, often, yeah, I love that scene. Often I think really like, when you're watching a movie and you've got someone singing, like, is it them? Or are they just, you know, lip syncing along with another yeah. performer? No, I, I, that's, and you could tell that's, that's really her. Yeah. And that's, that's really everything. Her. There's no doubt about it. Everything I've read, it is, it is her. On her character, though, when she is revealing all her lurid stories about her past to Holden, she tells mm-hmm. him about having a threesome with Gwen Stacy. Of course, we know who that is. From the Spider-Man yes. comics. It's not like Gwen Stacy, obviously. And Shannon Hamilton, interestingly, though, they were Joey Lauren Adams and Ben Affleck's characters in Morats. So it's yes. two actors as characters referring to other characters within the same universe that they, that play. they played in different films. Love it. Isn't that the ultimate fourth wall? Uh, absolutely love it. So meta, it's so fourth wall. I love it. She even makes mention... Uh, when her and Holden bump into each other in that nightclub, it's literally bumping into each other. Um, she makes mention of the character who is spoken about at the start of Morass, who ran laps in the YMCA pool and then died of an aneurysm or something. That's right. It's a, it's a shared universe. It's the tri-state New Jersey area. So it's all they all know each other because they're all in and around New Jersey. Well, in the Leonardo. scene, yeah, Leonardo. And remember mm. Clerks, the animated series, Alec Baldwin yes. played the mayor of Leonardo, Leonardo, Leonardo. and his name was Leonardo. <laughs> yeah, his name is actually Leonardo Leonardo. And he's the mayor of Leonardo. Yeah. And she's wearing a Leonardo shirt. Anyway, let's, let's not get she is. distracted. She is wearing a Leonardo shirt. What I was going to say, so in a scene with Banky and Alyssa, mm. he says during the, so it's during the oral sex scars conversation mm. that they have, in yep. the club, that he can't move his head far to the right because uh, yes. of Brandy Svenning's father. Well, Brandy Svenning, in the act. yeah. But Brandy Svenning is T.S.'s girlfriend in Borats, and That's her right. father is the main antagonist in that film, played by Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. That's right. So it's all again all shared universe. It's it's That's hard not I, to get sidetracked, whether it's I, things from his other films or films mm. that Smith himself is a fan of. That yep. scar scene is actually a homage to the scar scene from Jaws in 75. The line, oh, wow. I got that beat, is a reference to a scar and putting a leg on the table to show is a copy from that scene in Jaws. So there you That's go. Pretty so much. Direct homage to that film. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, word, almost word for word. Oh, well, it man, is word for like, word, but, and that's the point. But, but, it's absolutely, but, but, absolutely, that's yeah. Word. That's one of that's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, that that comparing scars scene um, is one of my favorite scenes, just because the laughter that it's exchanged between the two of them is so genuine. They they are literally in tears, laughing and banging the table with laughter. I absolutely love that. That's such a genuine interaction. It doesn't feel forced. The bit in the opening of the movie at the comic convention, we've got Dwight Ewell as Hooper. And that yes. always stayed for me. He's got that big thing. He gets the gun out and, you know, Banky's in on it. He's firing the gun. But when he's like, he's talking about just like race and, and it's all stuff. Yeah. And Star Wars. And then he gets to Darth Vader and he's like the blackest guy in the galaxy. You take off his helmet. He's a shriveled up white guy. Ah, oh, yeah. 
What are you trying to say? That deep inside, we all want to be white. And then, like, what's it? Banky stands up. Well, isn't that true? And then he pulls out the gun and his angriest black rage. And he starts opening uh, up on people. Yeah. He's oh, great. That's so funny. That is so good. I love it. We then, see the actor again in the, I'm pretty sure he's in the strip club scene in Dogma. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's, uh, he comes back in that. He also has a cameo at the end of Strike Back. Oh, nice. Uh, when, they all come out, when they all come out of the cinema. After seeing the Blunt Man and Chronic movie, ah. he's critiquing it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I always love that he's got this macho facade. Like you were just referring to it before, like in, in the Comic-Con. He puts on this macho sort of militant um, sort of Malcolm X style facade. And but underneath that all, he's actually, he's, 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 he's a gay man. He's, he's homosexual and he's, and he's flamboyantly so. And so it's all a facade and he has to put it on to try and like pull in a crowd or draw an audience. Um, but really, he's just a really like a nice, uh, you know, kind of chilled out gay guy. And he, he's cool. But it's really funny the way he, he dresses it up like that. And you get a lot of fun scenes between him and Banky. And he's talking about Archie and Jughead and all, yeah, all yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah. Banky's getting all frustrated with him. Worked up. And he's like, we're going to march over to the comic book store. I'm going to get it. Well, a ton of Archie comics. Yeah. That's a good call. I like that. Yeah. We need to talk about Banky, Banky Edwards as well, because Jason Lee's character, Banky Edwards, the Inca, has a huge impact on this film. Inca or Tracer? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Your mother's a Tracer. I, I want to get a T-shirt that says that one day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it came out of this movie... Okay, because I remember Morats was his first acting role, wasn't it? It was. Was it a professional yeah. skateboarder? I'm pretty sure that. Yes, Lee was that's a pro skateboarder. Was. Yep. I mean, like and I said in was... the like I said in the opening, he did win a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor. But yeah, I mean, he he's great in this. I would say, I mean, again, Joey Lauren Adams steals the show, but he's oh, a close yeah, second. Yeah. He's really good in this. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, he's his performance can't be understated. I mean, he clearly feels threatened by Laurie Adams' character because uh, he's breaking up the friendship that he has with Holden, not only professionally with the comic book, but also just as you know, as a friend. And he's very protective of his friend, and also he may even have some underlying feelings towards his friend that he hasn't addressed, and that gets addressed later on down the down the, down the line. Yeah, the but I don't. He doesn't really have those feelings. I mean, I know that's what's coming out in you know the the big you know yeah. reveal at the end. He's just more than anything though. He's just threatened that this 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 chick's come along. She's busting up the friendship between the two of them, and she's kind of getting in the way of their creative adventure together. Yeah, and that's, that's the, the thing. With this movie, like we're talking about Hooper early as a gay man, talking about Alyssa, she's a gay woman. But ultimately, mm-hmm. like this film is so relatable because it is relationships, it is friendships, and it's those things, you know, that you go through, you know, in your youth or, you know, in, yep. in well, at any point in your life, really. And that's why I always found it really relatable. And we've been in positions where it's, you've got like a best friend or a close friend, somebody comes in between you, you know, not that causes yeah that yeah, just breaks problems. up the dynamic and yeah yes it was relatable and not necessarily because she was attracted to other women but we've been in situations where we've gone after someone or liked somebody that maybe isn't mm. interested in anything more than friendship so this is a film i've always found relatable and just being able to re- relate to the character of banky 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you understand his angst. You get you get it like as a younger as a younger man, I understood Banky's angst in the movie a lot more. But as I've gotten older, I've seen other sides of the, of the spectrum, and it becomes like a, a diamond or a crystal. It's got many sides to it, and you know there are like reflections within re- reflections within reflections, and you start to see lots of different takes and lots of different uh, outcomes from the perspectives of each of these characters. We've got Jason Mewes back as Jay in this yep. film. Although, well, I was going to say, unlike the first two films, mm. just one scene and doesn't really say too much. Mm. I remember watching this film on the back of Clerks and more of that. So I'm like, yeah, give me more Jane Silent Bob. Jane Silent Bob and then yeah. just watching it for the first time on VHS. And it's like the movie felt like it was almost over and there'd been no Jane Silent Bob. And then, of course, they turn up for that one scene. and. Silent Bob, he has one of the longest speeches in the whole oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the whole, he has, he has so, much to, so much to say. And Amy in the title, it's his Amy. So I've always liked that about the film. Like you're thinking, you know, it's about Alyssa, whereas the movie Chasing Amy is actually about Bob's ex. But then the mm-hmm. comic within the film is actually about Alyssa. Headspin. Yeah. It's a bit confusing. It's, it does your head in. Again, because uh, Lauren Adams and Smith were dating at, at, at the time, or maybe had just broken up at the time. You don't, you don't know. We're not privy to those details. But um, he's probably he's clearly writing from experience. He's clearly writing from something that's happened in his life, and so he's trying to use Bob as, as a mouthpiece. Yeah, and that. it's yeah, you're right, and it's coming out there. But what's interesting though, so when when you've got the scene with Kim, who is mm. Alyssa's lover, yeah, she was played by Carmen. Llewellyn, although in the film she was credited as Carmen Lee, she was in right. fact the wife of Jason Lee at the time. Wow. And then she is having a lesbian kiss with the girlfriend of Kevin Smith at the time. That's crazy. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack. But there there is. There is. <laughs> but I didn't know that nugget of information. I didn't know that piece of information. That's interesting. Oh, that, wow. There you there go. You go. Um, there you go. Ben Affleck's younger brother, Casey Affleck, plays... Actually, he's credited online as Little Kid, although looks like a grown-up. He's the one behind Scott Mosier in the opening who's playing the ah, collector, and that's where the whole yes. tracing bit comes tracing from. Tracing thing comes from. He puts that's his right. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's lifelong friend and producer Scott Mosier, who is in line first, and behind him is Affleck's brother, Casey Affleck, who obviously went on to do you know, films in his own right. Yeah. We get that scene later in the film with the two execs, one being Brian O'Halloran and the yes. other, Matt Damon. I didn't realise that at first. I knew it was yeah, O'Halloran. I mean, straight away, but Damon, yeah. I didn't realise it. I mean, Matt Damon now, it's huge. And this yeah, would yeah. have been a year before Goodwill Hunting, which mm. Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier were executive producers on. Mm. So this film is just before Matt Damon would have took off with Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we get to see we get to see him come back again, obviously as an angel in Dogma. But then yeah. he's also what oh, he's got a scene in Jersey Girl, which isn't most people's favorite Kevin Smith film, but Matt Damon does have a scene in that as well. He also has a cameo in Strike Back, Applesauce, bitch. There you go. How'd you like them apples? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, you like them apples. That's right. I don't know if I like those apples, Will. Yeah. You know, I did read originally Walter Flanagan was going to have a scene, or he did shoot scenes, but they were deleted from the film. Oh, wow. The Comic Con that we talked about at the beginning is the Manhattan Comic Con, and it's presented by Flanagan Events. Actions. I was going to mention that. Good thing you, good thing you beat me to it. So that is obviously still a part of the film, but at one time, yeah. Flanagan was going to actually appear. And of course, yeah. he played several roles in Clerks mm-hmm. and Morats, mm-hmm. where he plays. Tell him Steve Dave. That's right. It's, what's the other one called? So, yeah, he says, Tell him Steve Dave. I can't remember the name of his character. Because uh, Steve Dave was. Uh, what was his last name? Casario or something like that? No, it was Brian was Johnson. Like, Brian Johnson. Brian, Brian Johnson's the is the is the actor who plays him. Yeah, so, but he was Steve Dave, wasn't he? But Brian yeah. Johnson was Steve Dave because Flanagan yeah. would say, "Tell him Steve Dave." I just can't yeah, remember Flanagan's character. Yeah, we just don't know the name of his character. It's, I think it's just Walt, like eponymous. Let's go with that. Let's just uh, yeah. <laughs> let's go with that. The music in this film, oh, I love man. it. Like love. Love Intro. the score, uh, the the use of music, like the songs. Yep. I don't think they've actually released a soundtrack, but the songs are available elsewhere. But what you I didn't know, oh, you, yeah, you could buy them on albums or whatever. Yeah. I knew the name Dave Perna because he appears in the credits. What I didn't know is that he is the frontman for the band Soul Asylum. Never go. knew that. That was news to me wow. today. So I'm a, I'm familiar with Soul Asylum. So he composed the incidental music for the film and the film's theme song, Tube of Wonderful, which plays over the opening credits. The song makes a reappearance in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, as well as Jane Silent Bob Reboot, both times introducing the character Holden McNeil. Nice. That's so that cool. is. I mean, it makes sense. Smith's obviously a big fan of Soul Asylum yeah, because he keeps using yeah. the music in his movies. But that's a good point. Yeah. Like the the music is associated with Holden McNeil. But when I heard it as part of James Silent Bob Strike Back, and then again in yeah. Reboot, I thought of it more of a James Silent Bob thing. But no, absolutely, yeah. it belongs to absolutely. Holden McNeil. I- the music, you're right. The music soundtrack informs the film and it underscores and underpins uh, the emotional beats of the film. And it's almost like the music is a character itself in this movie. Um, you just associate different themes with different scenes or different sound, sound, sounds with different scenes. I love that. I, I To this day, I will still put that soundtrack on while I'm drawing. Um, I'll be drawing or writing and I'll have that going in the background on YouTube. I'll just type in, you know, Chasing Amy soundtrack and it cues up all 12 tracks or 13 tracks from the movie. Or more there's probably like 18 tracks actually but there's yeah I honestly I, I knew that you was a smith fan mm-hmm. knew that you was a jane silent bob fan i didn't realize how fond you were of this movie so i'm really glad that we've we've covered it together it's a film that clearly both of us have liked oh, and dude. enjoyed for a long time but on that absolutely if you're going to rate this movie out of five. Oh look um you know i'm fond of fives um and this one's no exception um i i love it it's always been in my heart and i've always loved it for so many reasons um it's just just it really tugs at the heartstrings it's it's really a sentimental movie um 
it speaks to the core of what Smith does really well, which is really, really good dialogue and, and emotionally gritty dialogue, like you said. Um, and it throws in some lighthearted uh, moments in his trademark dick and fart joke humor. And the soundtrack is just phenomenal. So I, I can't really fault this movie. There's nothing about it that really, um, that really makes me go, there's something about this movie I don't like because I love everything about it. I think that the word I would use to sum it up is visceral. It's very visceral. Um, just the the emotions of it are so visceral and so raw, and I love it. I always will. So five, without, without doubt. You know, I've got to be honest. I wasn't necessarily thinking five coming into this review, but I really can't think of any reason or you know to deduct any points. Like it is, it's a five. It's a five for me as well. Like I said earlier today when we decided because it's a quick turnaround from deciding that we were going to review it and I thought right well I better go and rewatch it because it's been like a year or so since I'd seen it take some notes and thinking oh you know 90 minutes I'm sure no it's a two-hour film so I'm thinking right okay so it's longer than I was thinking it was going to be but it is a quick watch it is such a quick watch you're not watching the time and I've seen this film so many times and I've got to be honest like the film is dated. It really is. It came out in 97. It feels like a 90s movie. But I've I've got to be honest, like it seems weird saying it for the 90s, but, you know, I feel nostalgia for the 90s. I like the 90s. I remember at the time thinking, you know, you look back at the 80s and 70s, it's got a look and style, whereas the 90s just is. It doesn't have a particular look. And then like now, if you're going back and watching shows like Friends and it's all baggy shirts and waist jackets, it definitely did have a look and feel to it. And I like going back and revisiting 90s, whether it's in TV, film, music. So, yes, this film does look dated. Some of the subject matter, again, even Smith is himself has come out and said it's a bit problematic, but it's a it's a good film. Like it is, it's gritty. Yeah. And again, going back to the performance by Joey Lauren Adams. It's raw, yeah. but then it's got the humor. It's got the comic book connections, the great yeah. soundtracks. Again, like just sitting here and just being able to like just ticking off all these boxes of what makes this movie great. How can either of us come in below, you know, below five? So yes, it is a five. strong, strong five out of five. Very and it's making me think more than ever. We'll get to dogma. It'll happen. Yeah. We've already covered. We've already covered James Silent Bob Strike Back, so I think we should. We'll get to Dogma. Absolutely, I think we've got it. How can we not? Well, that's it for our episode all about chasing Amy. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure and never a chore. Snoochie boochies. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.